For a while now, we've been discussing the believer's battle, which, as I said, is every Christian's battle. If you are a true believer in Christ, if you are a believer, I mean, there is there cannot be a false believer, but there can be false Christians, <laughs> the superficial Christians, but a believer is a person who is walking under truth. A believer is one whose life is devoted to Christ, having received forgiveness for their sins and being sanctified by the Lord. They are continually sanctified. A believer has been saved, is being saved, and will be saved. So uh, believers are in battle because we are on enemy territory. We are on enemy territory because Satan is the prince of this world, he is the god of this age, he is the spirit that... uh, works in the air that is in those who are disobedient as peter says he rules this world now that is not to uh nullify or downgrade god's sovereignty satan cannot do a thing without god's consent so it is god who has permitted him to do what he likes with the world and believe me he does what he likes now the world in itself in of in and of its own is in the line in the embrace of Satan anyway. The world loves sin. The world loves the enemy. So the world is indeed yes in the embrace of Satan. So Satan's task now is actually how to bring Christians down. And that is what he does: how to bring Christians down. And this is why Paul the apostle, as we've been studying, because the um text that for this entire study of the believers battle which the whole teaching session as i said earlier when i began this may well last us the all of this year because it's a very very expansive uh, topic it may well last us all of this year but that is what we're there for we are supposed to encourage one another we're supposed to help one another and guide one another and hold each other up as we fight this standing battle with satan it is a lifelong battle life of christianity as i said is not for the faint-hearted Christianity is not the sort of life you come into and everything's fine and, you know, because you're a child of the kingdom of God and because you, you you are a Christian now, everything's going to work out wonderfully well for you. You just, you know, you just live in easy land. No, it's not so. It isn't. As a matter of fact, th- life becomes tougher when you become a believer. Things become more difficult. Life becomes tougher because now you have Satan's full attention on you. Whereas when you were in the world, you were already conquered by him. That was You were not a problem. But now that you have become a believer, now that you have chosen to live for God and to, to associate with Christ, now you are called by the name of Christ Jesus, you are now a threat to Satan's um, evil rule. And so you are a major threat. And now he pours all his resources into destabilizing your walk and destroying your faith, you know, shipwrecking your faith if he can help it. And that's why Paul the Apostle wants us saying in Ephesians 6 um, the text, the Bible text for this entire study, Ephesians 6 from verse 10 to 18, we've been studying and we are still studying. It says we should be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power we should put on the full armor of God so that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. Now, I've been talking about the devil's schemes uh, in relation to the channels of temptation because temptation is a very, very strong aspect of the battle with the enemy that we face. 
And so we spent a lot of time talking about the channels of temptation, which are the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And we have seen that he used the same channels of temptation to bring down Adam and Eve, the reason for for which every person born into the world now is born into sin. And he used the same channels of temptation to try and shipwreck the assignment of our incarnate Lord when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness. But Jesus overcame. And Jesus overcoming, the victory he had is victory for us because that tells us that we also can overcome Satan. So we've been talking about the wiles of the devil, his evil schemes, so we can overcome, the, 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 we can stand against the devil's schemes. He's, he's, he's a terrible, terrible schemer. And he's a very, very intelligent man. We cannot stand against him on our own. We can't. We need to put on the full armor of God. And in due course, after we have studied all the, uh, as much as possi- uh, possible, into the channels, uh, the wiles of the devil, which is the schemes, we will then examine this armor of God and see why it is so vital. Why Paul goes into the extensive study of the uh, of the instruction as to why we should put on the full armor of God. Because outside of that, we are naked and vulnerable and defeated. We cannot fight against the devil on our own. And we cannot fight against him verbally, as is taught in a lot of places. As I said before, people have been told to cast the devil and curse the devil and abuse the devil. That's all futile. It's a total waste of time. And if you wage a war in that way, you, I must say, you're defeated already. We cannot fight against him. Look, Satan's intelligence and power is only subordinate to that of God himself. So we don't come close. We do not come close. But then, as believers, we have got the full armor of God made available to us, but we need to put it on. So we have been talking about the channels of temptation, the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And now I'm going to move on to another aspect of the wiles of the devil, of Satan's schemes, and this time is the spiritual assault. Spiritual assault on believers. Now that comes in very many ways. And in saying spiritual assault, do not think I'm by any means talking about the... Um, about witches and wizards in your family who are keeping you from your financial prosperity and who are keeping you from having children and and um, who are keeping you from getting promoted or, or letting your business flourish. All the very petty uh, notions that uh, uh, false teachers fill people's minds and heads with. The fact that you even believe that alone means you're defeated. Because, you know, these messages are there to intimidate you. They're there to put in you fear. They're there to put in you fear of another mortal like yourself. So you run in. And what happens is you end up running to these said prophets or pastors or whatever the capacity they say they're operating in. You run to them for deliverance because they say that they have seen where the evil attacks in your life have come from and they can deliver you. So you run to them. A mere mortal like yourself. An unsaved person anyway, because no true servant of God will fill your head with idle talk and idle notions. So these people are unsaved, regardless of what their titles. They are masquerading as angels of light. That's going to be another um, aspect we're going to go into concerning the wiles of the devil, the false teachings and false teachers. But we're not at that stage yet. But of course, I mean, we'll touch on them in every area because they, they, they are all over the place, fulfilling the purposes of the devil. 
So when I'm talking about spiritual attacks, um, spiritual assault, I am talking about the battle that the Satan wages in the mind of believers. That is his battleground. Our minds. That's why he operates. That's why he operates all sorts of things. Like the spirit of pride, arrogance and boastfulness. False confidence. Fear, lustfulness, depression, doubt and distrust in God, spiritism, demonic possess- demon possession, you know, um, cultist ideas, and, and all things like unforgiveness, these all happen in the mind. And they are spiritual assault on the believer. They are spiritual assault on the believer. And this is why all over scripture we are warned to be self-controlled and sober we are warned to be alert we are warned severally because it is so imperative we need to be clear-minded at all times to be able to discern the wiles of the devil if we carried away in all kinds of emotions and um, all kinds of sentimentalism and emotionalism we will lose the plot we will lose the plot we need to know. We need to to be aware. We need to be self-controlled and alert. We we need to know to, to always be able to discern at all times. And it is such a tragedy that discernment is very lacking in uh, a lot of what is uh, called Christianity today. Quite honestly, modern day Christianity is totally devoid of discernment by every by every standard. And that is why people look. I mean, people find a, uh, some guy gets up today tells you he's a minister of God he stands there telling you that uh, he's got new revelation that no one's ever heard before and no one's ever seen before and millions of people flock behind them even though everything they're saying cannot stand the, se- the test of scripture this person the people stand up and rise and boast in themselves they're there full of arrogance and boastfulness about knowledge that they know and things they only know, and th- secrets God has revealed to them only. They've got no witnesses but themselves. And people flock after them. There is no, no, no discernment whatsoever. You know? People um, who, who pro- pro- profess in servants of God or ministers of God, male and female alike, they're, being, they're caught in all kinds of um, vices and all kinds of ungodliness. And people still look at him and say, oh, don't say anything about it, you know. Touch not my anointed, the Bible says. Ooh, the Bible says, don't judge, you know, I should not judge. What are you talking about? When then will you be able to recognize the servants of the devil? When? And don't think certain servants are going to come out to you and say, I'm a servant of the, of the devil. No, they won't. I mean, we have those in the world already, people who blatantly are on the side of Satan, who worries servants you know the uh, witch doctors and uh, all the mediums and spiritists and all such people that's fine they know who they are and they do not hide it and so as a believer i will i will avoid a spiritist i will avoid a medium uh, a medium sorry i will avoid uh, avoid anyone who says they're into uh, interpreting omens and dreams and all that because i know they are they are not of god i know they are not operating under the holy spirit of god so they're not a problem but the major problem is with those who actually purport to serve christ who claim they are servants of god 
But actually, they are servants of the devil. And people are shutting their eyes and their ears to all this. As long as they've got a large following and they're very eloquent in their lives and they look good, they've got all the air of carnal prosperity that the world is drooling after. Ah, they're a great man of God, a great woman of God as far as the people are concerned. What on earth are you talking about? Do these people, when you look at them, when you listen to their messages, do they even compare with the servants of God that we read about in Scripture? Do their teachings compare? Because I say this, and I will always say it, the message of the gospel is unchanged. And it will never change. And it is one of repentance and the kingdom of God. That is the whole message of the gospel. Everything comes from it, and from it is the same thing. The prophets in the Old Testament, they all preached repentance and the judgment of God. John the Baptist came after, what, so many years, hundreds of years of silence between um, the Old and New Testament when God was absolutely silent, left the people to do of the world to leave us the pleased. And then John the, God uh, brought, sent John the Baptist. What was his message? Repentance. Repentance on the kingdom of God. And talking about the kingdom of God, that includes the judgment and the rewards for righteousness and the judgments judgment for um, sinfulness and then came our Lord himself Jesus I mean John the Baptist announced the arrival of the Messiah the Messiah came and what was his message repentance and the kingdom of God and the message handed down to the apostles which they preached all of their lives was repentance and the kingdom of God and so we cannot in this age change the message the fact that you think in your mind that you have got another message at all that is different to the uh, gospel the true gospel delivered once and for all to the saints the fact that you believe you've got a new insight or a new message that God has sent as some crazy ones who claim that God has anointed them as to, to, to be prosperity preachers. That's nonsense. God is not interested in carnal prosperity. He's not. He's God, yes. He makes all things abound to us, yes. He meets us at every point of need, yes. He gives us everything we need while we are here serving him, yes. He even gives to the non-believers. So what's the big deal about it? God gives to saints and sinners alike. He gives to believers and non-believers in the same way. So it's no big deal. So he is not appointed or anointed anyone to be a prosperity preacher. Sorry, every preacher is a preacher is to be a preacher of the gospel. There's no new calling. There's no further calling. So these people are here disguised as angels of light, and the people fall for them. The people follow them. The people love what they've got to say. Their messages are very nice, very very nice. They're very pleasant. They address your day-to-day needs, and you like them. They address, you know, they, they hit you straight in the heart with the lies and throw you into floods of emotion. And you think, oh, yes, he's talking to me, yes. And so you're putting your hand up and shouting, yeah, preach it, bro. Yes, yes, Lord, hallelujah, amen. Over lies. But you love it. Look, the message of the gospel of Christ is not about you, it's not about your needs. For your, your canon needs, it's about your spiritual needs, your speech, the, the state of our spiritual hopelessness and helplessness outside of Jesus Christ our Lord.
And until we come to that realization that we are sinners who are headed for condemnation, judgment by God, and as such we need the saving grace of, of Christ Jesus, who already has been, once for all, he's not going to come back again to die for us a second time. There's gonna, not going to be, there, there's no further atonement. The deal was done once and for all. And then you come and, and you admit and accept and you plead it that Jesus, I know you came, you died, you took all the insult, you died, the death you died was in my behalf. And so now, Lord, now that you have bought me at a price, the, the price of your very life. Now I've come to realize that as a man, I walked in error, I walked in sin, I, walked, I was separated from God because of my sinfulness. Now your blood has reconciled me. Lord, I am grateful. I want to live in that reconciliation with the Father. And so all of your heart is no longer for this world. You do not care now for the things of the world or the affairs of the world or the things the world is doing. But now your only affection is for heaven and the things of heaven and what heaven holds in store. Our reward is not in this world. And if you're wanting earthly reward, already you stand defeated by Satan. Because you have not stood your ground in his scheming. You have fallen. Because he is the one who tells you. So when you hear all these teachings that tell you, oh yes, as a child of the kingdom, you're supposed to live the kingdom life here. And God is going to take all the wealth of the unbelievers and hand it to you, the believer, because you're a child of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is not of this world. The kingdom of this world is Satan's kingdom. You want to leave as a, if you know you believe you belong to the kingdom of God, then you know, you, you acknowledge that you are an alien in this world. You acknowledge that this is not your home. You are here for the purposes of serving God and bringing glory to God. And so you don't care whether you have a how you build a house here or not, whether you have a position in this world or not, whether you attain anything or achieve anything in this world or not. It's inconsequential because you know what? This world is passing. If you have really truly believed the words of Christ, then you know that this world is passing. All the kingdoms of this world will be brought down to nothing. And so what do you do with all the worldly achievements that you want to acquire and accumulate and possess and everything? Jesus said, the world, the people of the world, run after all those things. The pagans, the non-believers, those who, who, who have shut their hearts and their ears from the truth. Those who have subscribed to the enemy's camp, they'd rather live under the temporary comforts of Satan than thirst and hunger for the eternal, eternal rewards of God. So it is not possible, if you say you're a, a Christian, it is not possible for you to love the world and love the kingdom of God at the same time. You cannot strike that balance. Do not deceive yourself. You cannot strike that balance. If you find that you are still so determined to be this in the world and to own this and to own that and to possess it and you see things that people have and you don't see why you cannot own the same things or have the same things and you're killing yourself, working hard, so, so hard because you must build this house and you must buy that car and you must possess that you've lost the plot satan is toying with you and you know what he doesn't just toy with people he destroys he's gonna he's working on killing you we see it all the time people dropping dead 
between the ages of twenty something and forty something, fifty even at most. They're dying already. They're, they're full of high blood pressure. They've got hypertension left, right, and center. They're collapsing from overworking. The Bible says to us in, in Proverbs, I can't tell you the specific verse now, but it's there. It says, Do not wear out yourself to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. The Bible wants us so much, severally. About this thing, about wanting to get rich. You say you love Christ. You claim you're a Christian. Yet, you cannot detach yourself from all things worldly. Rather, you are trying to use your Christianity as a cover for loving the world by believing nonsense talk that because you're a Christian, yours is the best things of the world. Really, Jesus didn't promise us that. Jesus promised us the best of our lives in the life to come. So it makes me wonder when I read titles like the Joel Osteen's book that says your best life now, it makes me wonder if he knows something Jesus didn't know. If your best life is now in this world, then I fear for you. I really fear for you. Because those who do have their best life now are those who are destined for hell. Jesus said it very clearly. He said, you've got your rewards in this world, that's it. Fine, that's all you're getting. And if all you're getting is all that is in the sinful, evil, wicked, dreadful world as it is. Full of wickedness. Because this very best life now that you've got doesn't come to you like that from God. No. It comes through a lot of striving, a lot of competitiveness, a lot of hating and being hated in the world with the people of the world. Because that's, that's their forte. That's what they do. That's what they do. That's what they live for. So you're living for the same things. So you're in the same jostling for position and for pride of place and uh, for property and everything. You're in the same competition with everybody else that is of the world. And you call that a life from God? No, it's not. That is not the life of God. No, it's not. The life of God is one of contentment. If it is God's will, I don't know why all this noise about riches. Why? Why? Why must you have carnal riches? Why is it so important? Why is it so important? Why? What does it matter whether you own a property or not? You can't take it with you if you go. And you will go. We all will. None of us is going to stay here forever. We have eternal life, yes, but not in the world as we know it. This particular world is sin, is laden with sin, is ridden with sin, is cancerous with sin. It's going to be, it's going to be taken out. God is going to renew all things. And the house you own here, you will not be able to use then because the world is not going to stay. It's not going to stay as it is. God's going to renew all things. And as such, if you know that you are, you do belong to God, you are supposed to look forward to that promise. Look, Peter says it very clearly here. You're supposed to look to that, forward to that promise. First Peter chapter 1 from verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. You see, the hope we have is not about this world. It's not for this world. And this is part of the armor of God that Paul talks about when he says we should put on the full armor of God. He talks about a hope of salvation. It's not about the hope for this world. Now that I'm a Christian, all my problems are going to go away. 
I will have all the children I want. I'm going to have the most fantastic marriage. And I'm going to have all the money I need. I'm going to possess all the property I need. I'm going to have it all. I'm going to possess my possession because now I'm a child of God. Who says? Look, that we are Christians, we are going to go through exactly the same problems the people of the world are going through. And worse still, I say, you know, even worse. Because you know what? This is Satan's territory. And his, his purpose... His determination is the enemy of God. The battle really is not against you. Satan's battle really is against God. It is with God that he's contending. We just happen to be like pawns on a chessboard in his hands. Because he does not want to see God glorified. It cannot bear the thought that the saints are going to be praising God for eternity. After his destruction. After his final destruction. It can't bear the thought. And even now he hates it. When the believers, when we cry out to God in praise and adoration, the fact that we love God, the fact that we love Jesus and we want to live for Jesus and we want to do everything Jesus says, obey the Lord, the fact that we live for that love and walk in that love is killing Satan. He hates it. And that's the, that, that's the whole idea. And so he's going to do everything he can to destabilize us. And for these, our minds, as I said before, our minds are, the ba- are his battleground. Our minds are his battleground. Because all of the evil and all the sin that any man perpetrates comes as a development of thoughts and ideas and notions that have formed in the mind and have been nurtured and nurtured until they come to their fulfillment in the perpetration of the sin. Or falling for the, into that particular temptation. Your being tempted is not a sin. It is your, actual, your submission to the temptation that, that culminates in sin. So the battle is there. So if you are truly of God, you have no business to the world. It really doesn't matter whether you have riches or not. It really doesn't because you know what? All those things are snares. They are snares. Satan's most powerful tool is money, actually. And that's why, look, Paul says this in First Timothy chapter 6. I'm sure, you know, most people are very conversant with this, but whether they believe it or not, or live by it or not, is another story. But yeah, people love to quote the Bible, but it's one thing quoting it, it's another thing living by it. Now look, uh, take it from verse 3, actually. It says, If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy inter- interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith, and pierce themselves with many griefs. So you see, your love and affection for things of the world, which actually is being encouraged by by imposters on pulpits all over the place, 
That's all they ever address. Your carnal needs, your carnal needs, your carnal needs. And then they try and tell you that's them addressing your spiritual needs. Lack of discernment is a terrible cancer today in Christendom. They tell you other things and you like what they're saying. And so you, you believe them and you follow them. If you follow them, you're not following Christ. Now they do not know the way to salvation. They do not know the way to the kingdom of heaven, which they always foolishly talk about. Well, they talk about it just to cloud over your thoughts. To win you over. And they're not just winning you physically. They're winning your souls over to Satan. If you are a child of God and you believe you and you know you are, you cannot, you simply cannot have any affection for the world. Now you see the world differently. We all saw the world in the same way before. I loved the world before. I loved this world and everything it had to offer. I was afraid of death because I, I had to be here. I had to achieve things. I had to have things. I had to own things. But then, when God revealed his grace to me, I began to see things from the eyes of God. And that's what the Bible says in First Corinthians 2. I think it's verse 15 where it says about who has known the mind of God that he may correct him. But we have the mind of Christ. So I began to see the world from the perspective of God and saw how filthy and how sinful and how evil this world is. And all the things of the world began to not appeal to me, but I began to see them as disgusting. Yes, so the spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. You are able to discern between right and wrong. How spiritual are you? For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. If you have got the mind of Christ, you cannot be wanting everything carnal. How many of these carnal things, what things of the world did Jesus pursue when he was here? What? The disciples, they were like you and I. They loved the world and all, all, all it had to offer until they came to know Christ. And then they abandoned all that for the kingdom of heaven. That's why we have that parable. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a man who goes um, hunting for jewelry. Then he finds a particular pearl which was worth everything, and he left every other one for it. Parables and parables. The battlefield of Satan is your mind as a believer. There's a lot to talk about there. This is just an introduction into what we're going to be talking about, the spiritual assault. We'll continue this the next time we, um, uh, we, we meet, talking about the spiritual assault on the mind. It's a very expansive topic, and it is one we need to address with every urgency. Until the next time, may the Lord be with you.